All right, guys, at the risk of sounding like a total cop-out, we had a little bit of a lapse in our scheduling, so we have the opportunity to run a special Encore presentation. And for all of you Gen Xers out there, yes, a rerun of my interview with Samuel Vasquez. Now, the thing that's cool and timely about this is Sam just launched his new project with a group called the J2 Collection about his messenger bags that feature his artwork. So uh, we're not getting sponsored to, to share this, but uh, we thought we'd help our friend Sam out. So go to thej2collection.com slash T slash Brame. We'll have that in the show notes as well. That's the letter J, number two, collection.com slash the letter T slash B-R-A-M-E. The j2collection.com slash t slash brame. And now without further ado, please enjoy a special encore presentation of my interview with Samuel Vasquez. Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. Today I catch up with Samuel Vasquez, a graffiti artist turned graphic designer turned musician turned fine artist turned instructor. Sam has got a really cool story and I'm excited to have you listen along today. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're at obsessed show and I'm at Josh miles. While you're at it, head on over to iTunes to subscribe to obsessed with design. We'd love to have you rate the show and help others find us. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Sam Vasquez. Guys, today I am excited to welcome former creative director and graphic designer, artist, art educator, and curator, Sam Vasquez. Sam, thanks so much for being on Obsessed with Design. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me to be a part of the show and uh, just to share some insights on uh, on design and art and um, life as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And Sam is a... guy who's been kind of in and out of Indianapolis over the years. So we had connected a few years ago and it seems like we met, um, through maybe your work that you did for a poster for the hurricane Katrina fundraiser thing. Does that sound right? It, it matter. We, we met through that, but I, I, I think we met earlier. Um, I got in touch with you probably like late nineties. It, it might've been later than that, like 2000, 2001. And you oh. said, I've seen one of your pieces that a, a printing rep showed me. So I think that was a, the first time we connected. Oh, yeah. I totally remember yeah. that. That was uh, while you were working with an agency here in Indy, right? Yes, yes. So you are, you're not originally from Indianapolis. You're originally from Puerto Rico, right? Yes, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Well, tell me about, I know that your path is kind of taking you through New York City as well. So tell us about how you went from Puerto Rico to New York and wound up in Indianapolis. Yes, yes. Um, well, we have family uh, living in New York. I had an uncle and an aunt and cousins. And in the 70s, my parents traveled out there and visited them. And like with anything, they're like, hey, you should, you guys should come up here and um, take um, a bunch of the opportunities that New York will, can offer uh, to a young family. So my dad moved up there first and started working in the city and then uh, brought the whole family over. And that was in 79, December 10, 1979. <laughs> awesome. A pretty cold, 
So it was the first time I experienced winter time um, in New York. And we arrived at uh, JFK. Well, tell me about your your origin story as a designer and artist. Yes, yes. So um, 1979, with a lot of the new experiences in the city, uh, one of those were um, checking out the graffiti art on the subway trains. So as a young kid, I was already, um, when I was like four or five, that's when my, my parents first introduced me to art and finger painting and all that uh, things that kids get involved with. So when I went to New York and saw trains, it, it pulled me as far as the energy, the color, the movement. It was just so vibrant. Um, so that was my first introduction to the arts. And, and especially not looking back at public art, because when I when I look at what was done on the subway trains, it was for the public. It was um, and it was a moving gallery. So it was really interesting to see what was happening. Later on, I found out that it, there were. Uh, kids as young as I was doing these things, nine years old, doing uh, subway um, paintings. Now that I'm older, I, I, I cannot have rebel against the word graffiti because when it first came out, it was what the media pointed to the art form to kind of demean it. We knew it as writing because you write your name. Uh, later on, we since you put time into it, you practice, you, you kind of create your style. I refer to it as style writing, which a lot of the earlier uh, participants, that's how we call it. Uh, but that was my first introduction to the arts and, and, um, and seeing something creative coming out from, from the kids of New York at that time. Well, you were kind of in the middle of New York as, as hip hop was kind of becoming a thing on the scene and graffiti, I'm sure, was coming together all at the same time. When did, uh, tell us about Brame. When did that become part of your style writing so i mean um just to give you a quick history of of hip-hop as a culture uh, before the music and the dance there was the art form some folks kind of put them all together they said there's four elements to hip-hop which is you know you got the art you got the music you got the dance and you got like djing um and rapping that goes together but those were separated they they, they came up separate but since they came out from the same community, they kind of bundled those together to say this is under the hip hop culture. Um, but hip hop was coined when, when I heard it most, it was probably like 1980, 79, 80. And it was really interesting just to see it was, it was just the force of it. So I, at that time, uh, when I got into writing brain, which is B-R-A-M-E, uh, it's a last name, but back then I, I didn't know it was a last name. Hmm. It was just the way the letters sound, uh, sounded good together. Um, in graffiti, there's an unwritten rule that <clears throat> it's ideal not to have a name, a tag name that is longer than five letters because you could write on fast. And you, you want to pronounce it like in one or two, you know, like syllables or brain. It's just as easy as, you know, it rolls off the just real smooth. Uh, I started writing Brain in 1983 when I was 12, 13 years old in junior high school. So uh, that was kind of like my introduction to spending every day going out there to the subway yards. And uh, and also while I was riding the subway to school and, um, and from school, we would just walk from subway car to subway car and just hit it, marker, spray paint. So it was uh, <clears throat> the whole culture was driven by the energy, the youthful energy. 
uh, almost this rebellion against what was going on. If you look at the city in the 70s, it was nearly bankrupt. A lot of the things were taken out out of school, um, social services. Uh, so in school, there was hardly any art education or music education in the 70s. So those who were creative were going to find a way to do it. So the expression needed to come out somehow. So that, that was the way that it was manifested. So how did you go from um, kind of the self-expression driven style writing and how did that, how'd you find your way into the graphic design or advertising world from that? Yeah. Yeah. That was a really interesting story. Um, in high school, I was, you know, writing consumed my, my entire time I was there. And I have two quick stories. Like in junior high school, right before I went to high school, one of my teachers, English teacher, I, in every class I will sketch rather than paying attention and listening. And he came around my desk and he saw me sketching some letters. And he said, Sam, every time I see you, you're just sketching on, on your, you have taken no notes. He said, you know what? Graffiti will take you nowhere. So to me, that was another example of like, okay, they don't value what we value. They don't see uh, our passion. So when I got into high school, I was just doing the same thing, sketching, tagging the, the school. And in one of those, just walking around the school and tagging it up, my friend got busted. I was there, but I was not writing. So, but they took us both to the, uh, to the office. They suspended us for a week. When I came back, they say, you got to see your guidance counselor because I think you need some direction in life. <laughs> then tagging the walls and, and vandalizing the school. To the guidance counselor, um, they advised me to take some after school program. So I enrolled in what, what was called the Future Business Leaders of America, FBLA. So after school, we, we would go to a room, play with some computers. There were some... Uh, some school trips. And one of those trips was to, uh, which you, you know, the agency young and Ruby camp in New York. Mm -hmm. So that was my first connection in, in visiting a place. And back then there was no computers. This was 1986 computers were kind of coming in into the field. So when they showed me the art department, it was just drafting tables and people drawing. And, and to me, I was like, People actually go to work to do what I, so that's when I kind of connected the two that what I was doing on the subways and writing, it was work because you're putting up your time, your effort, your talent. So when I went back to school, then the, the next week I was like, let me enroll in one of the art classes. So I only took one art class in high school and applied to New York City College of Technology and um, got a degree there from uh, in art and advertising design. So that was my introduction. Like graffiti opened the door or style writing opened the door to uh, to graphic design as a whole. And then, of course, I know you from uh, your work in Indianapolis with agencies here. How did you make it from school studying graphic design to Indy? Was that a direct path or were there uh, kind of other stops in between? It was a direct path because uh, at that time, and with, a, with anything, you know, being young at that time, <clears throat> your parents will say, well, I know you like graffiti. I know you like breakdancing because that was another thing that I did. 
but you have to pick something that you're gonna you're gonna make a living out of. Um, and back then, a lot of the young people in graffiti art, we didn't know how to promote ourselves. As far as saying this is something that I can take to the next level and make a living from it. Um, so when I came here to Indianapolis, and it was the same transition as Puerto Rico to New York. We have friends who were here. They say, come on out. So we visited Indianapolis for two summers in a row. We liked the slower pace of life. Um, my parents were getting a little older, so they're like, okay, we know we can handle the grind of New York. So I think Indianapolis will be a, a great place. Uh, so the whole family unit move, which is really interesting. I have both my parents here, my brother, his wife. I got a niece. My old, older sister, her husband. So it's really interesting how the whole family stayed together. Came here with a portfolio. Uh, everything was done by hand. This is 1991. And I don't know if you remember, but here we used to have the Art Directors Club. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And they will meet up like once a, once a month. And for maybe six months, I will bring my portfolio and show it to anybody that will give me the time. <laughs> So in 90, 91, 92, I was known as the guy with the portfolio asking people to give me, you know, a couple of minutes. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. But like with, with everything that was changing in design, um, I will, if I, if I got an interview or talk to somebody, they say, do you know the computer? I see you don't have anything done on the computer. At that time, I probably had done like one project way back in 87 on a Mac classic. I just laid out type. That's all I used it for. And I said, I, I really don't have any experience on the Mac. So they say, well, that's something that you're going to have to get into. So there's my entry to Heron School of Art. I went to Heron School of Art just to take one computer class and ended up spending 18 years uh, going through the VC program. It's uh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting kind of like just curveballs how life goes, goes about. Uh, but at Heron, I was able to learn the computer and, and I was going through the VC program, stepping out and starting doing internships. And in, from 91 through 97, I worked odd jobs, going through school, doing some internships. So I didn't have... It took me six years to get my full-time job in graphic design after getting my degree uh, from New York. So it was it was a lot of learning to do and met some really great people that were working in design here um, and still working in design. So you've worked with some pretty awesome clients here in Indianapolis between uh, what was originally Conseco Fieldhouse, which is now yeah. Banker's Life where the Pacers play and the IU School of Business and University of Indianapolis and the zoo. And um, so tell us a little bit about the kinds of things once you eventually did land that agency job or the types of things that you worked on, because I know that agency was very diverse in the types of projects they touched. Yeah. And uh, that one agency that I worked through those projects, I met the owner. I, I did a poster who knew the computer then uh, for Fiesta Indianapolis. Uh, being from Puerto Rico, they're like, oh, that would be an interesting take on it. So that, that poster had some of the Puerto Rican flavor and some of the identifying items like a coqui and a, a baba, which is a hat that you wear in Puerto Rico. And through that friend, I met the owner of the studio. I'll mention them. They're really good friends, RLR Associates. And this was 93 when I met him. So he was the first one who gave me 
he he met me. He said, "Okay, um, I'm gonna." I didn't have a car at the time. He said, "I'll pick you up. We'll go to lunch. Then I'll bring you to the studio." So to me, that was a really interesting uh, way of how he was giving back and reaching out. So from '93 to '96, I was working on enough summers with him. Uh, I helped him move his studio from his house to downtown. So it was a really good like. You know, I saw it as a mentor and, you know, in, in a student uh, relationship. Then I, and the time that Consico project came through was really interesting. I was working at a warehouse music distributor and he gives me a call and he said, I just got a call from the folks, uh, the Simons and the Pacers and, and, and everybody involved in it because that project, there's so many people behind it. And they say they're, they're working on the arena. They're, they're, there, um, you know, you've heard that on the news. And so he said, I'm going to make a presentation to them, but it's on a Monday. Can you come in this weekend and put a book together? So I spent the weekend just like putting a, a presentation book, which I still have. It's really interesting. Uh, the cover was chipboard because if you, uh, those, those who know Consico now Bankers Life is retro. That was the whole, the one word they say is we want to take people back in time um, and to the, have, so by the time the arena opens, it has history in itself. So um, I had to do some fast research and put a book together. And he had his presentation. He said, yeah, they, uh, they selected me. He said, would you like to come in full time? So to me, it was almost like a, like a, a rehearsal on, on a weekend to get a job on a Monday. And it was really interesting how that whole thing happened without me thinking that, okay, I'm here on a Friday working at a warehouse. And by Monday, I have a full-time job at an agency working for one of the hottest clients at that time here in the city uh, with being such a high-profile project. So it's really interesting how, how things can happen. And those are experiences that I passed to, to my students when I started teaching later on at Heron School of Art. So, uh, but it was an interesting time. And I, I spent the RLR a year, then... I wanted to continue learning the computer. Uh, I knew the basics, but it was like, okay, we're, we're getting some really interesting projects and I wanted to learn how to do more Illustrator and Photoshop. But I was moving quickly to being more of a senior designer and art director. And I said, hold on, hold on. This is coming too fast. I want to be able to, to, to get my, my, my feet level on the ground and be able to, to know the computer. Because I was always thinking ahead of time. I said, what if I find myself out on my own? Would I be able to produce the work that I, you know, um, might come down from clients? So I left RLR for a year and a half, worked at a, a, a firm that was, I did all production, which, again, it was one of those things that to some of my friends, it didn't make sense. They're like, hold on, you're taking, you're kind of taking a step back. And I was like, no, 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 hold on. I want to learn as much as possible. I just want to go in and do drop shadows and do outlines and, and, and layouts and everything. Um, after that one year and a half, RLR saw what I was working on. It's like, wow, you're, you really, I can see what you're doing. They said, we want it. We want you back. So I went back for a second time. And that's when I started working with the Grand Prix when they first came in in 2001. 2000, 2001. So uh, I worked on that, that project for two, three years. Um, and that was almost like another conceit. It was so, there were so many moving parts. 
And I'm sure you know, uh, w- w- when you design, when there's a committee, there's whew, a lot of people that come in and, you know, there's, there's that part of design that is, is great, but there's a lot of, you do a lot of compromise. You, you understand that it's not what you want to do. It's, there's a lot of people in stake, but it was an interesting time for me, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, uh, as your friends kind of implied, not necessarily how you draw the arc of your career if you probably were going to do it over, but that's, it's really cool that you knew enough once you dug in kind of in those art director roles of like, Hey, I need to go, go learn the basics some more. And it's really cool that you're able to kind of take a step and go learn really, you know, in depth and then come back and, you know, open yourself up to another fantastic client like the Grand Prix. And I think it was one of those, like, uh, my first day at the job when I worked at um, RLR, uh, it was just him and myself. So I was his first full-time employee. Um, we're on, on 101 West Ohio on the 15th floor looking down towards the, the arts garden. So it was like my first day at the job because so many projects were coming in. Rodney, which is the owner of RLR, he, he went overseas. He said, I need to just, you know, recharge my, my batteries, then come back and dive into it. Uh, he's been building the studio for, at that time, it had been almost 10 years just by himself. So I understood that my first day at the job was like, I opened the, the studio, I was answering, <laughs> phone, I was handling client. So for like a week, I was the owner of the studio, but it was my first full-time job. So I learned a lot, but it was like, it's coming fast. Let me, uh, let me just kind of um, learn all the aspects of it, even the business side of it, which is something I later on learned uh, some of the business aspects of design. Well, fast forward a little bit. I, I feel like one of the ways that I feel like I've kept uh, somewhat in touch or aware of what you were up to was you started sending out emails to your network, just kind of updating people on what yeah. you were doing and all the things that you had touched and kind of reminiscing about, you know, being in New York in the seventies and the eighties. And part of me thinks that you are the real life, most interesting man in the world from those emails, because there were so many cool things that you had touched. And here's me with this famous person, or here's me working on this music, or here's me DJing. So tell us a little bit about, um, what made you think to do those, those emails and just kind of how that directed your path? Uh, so with that reference, should I apply for the Dos Equis? Yeah, right. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> That'll be a nice gig. But uh, I think once, um, like when, when I worked on cons- um, Grand Prix, that was like the last large project that I worked on through our LAR. I was basically burned out. So it was for me, it was probably like four or five years where it was just going, going and going and going. And it it was at that point, I was like, I'm getting further away from some of the things that I enjoy. Um, Because to build anything that that will have lasting impact, you're going to have to dedicate a a lot of time. And I understood that. But for me, I um, kind of sat back and started thinking uh, uh, as far as where, where do I want to go? And also at that time, which is uh, 2001, uh, my graffiti mentor, A1, Anthony Clark, uh, passed away. He was in, living in, in Paris at that time. So to me, I was like, wow, here's a young guy, 37 years old, and he mm-hmm. passed away. And it's like, oh, wow, like it, it hit me. 
I said, that's so young, you know, and I was just, you know, I was at that time, I was 31. So I was like, okay, I have to make a change because it was not healthy. I was not going a healthy way. I didn't have a balance between life and work. It was just all work. So I started kind of reaching back to that time where for me, art or design was real fun. So I went, um, started connecting with friends in New York and find out a few of them were still, they're like, oh yeah, the new thing is street art. Now we're street artists and they paying us to do this. And we're going, traveling the country and we got, you know, uh, fans and we're doing books and everything. I was like, wow, that's interesting. Uh, even though that was not a reason I got into it. To me, it was like going back to that time where you can just sit with your buddies and just talk about what you did on that day. Like, oh, where you where you hit a train or where did you do a rooftop? And we just sit down and talk. So I started getting back slowly into uh, not doing graffiti art because I think I understood that I was at a different phase in life. Graffiti art is a young person's sport. Uh, you, you need to have a lot of stamina to be, you know, going into spots that are, I, I, I won't be able to climb up those spots. I'm like, I'm too old for that. You know, I mean, it becomes, <laughs> I have other priorities in life, but understanding the history and what we did, it was more, it came back from that sense of once I started going out to some of the festivals, people are saying, yeah, I know what crew you're from. And I, I, I've seen the work of this person, this person. So it became more of like, I've been looked at from the historical perspective as far as being one of tens of thousands of kids who were doing that in the city to now people wanting to know how it was, what was going on. We know about hip hop nowadays, it's billion dollar industry. And you guys were there when, when it was all still very raw. Uh, and that's where I'm at. I like the rawness of it. I like that immediate, um, energy and the release of it and, and how it is. So I started experimenting with a lot of stuff. And at one point I had a website, it was called Opium Lab. And a lot of friends were like, whoa, dude, what's going on? Opium, what? Why are you using that word? But for me, it was just a way to experiment. So that's when I started just getting into digital music, mm. um, combining both design and art. So a lot of the stuff that I did first was uh, using photography, I still do photography um, and use it in, in my art, in my artwork. But I was trying to like bridge the gap. I was like, can I be a designer and an artist at the same time and still have that balance of because I enjoy like when I got into design, I was so obsessed with it. I mean, I was just like people are saying even a hair and they're like, man, you're always seeing the books. And I said, that's how I'm learning, seeing what everybody else is doing. And I want to see what, you know, in the West Coast, how they lay out type. I want to see. I know New York is mainly real bold and colors. And I mean, because you have only a few seconds to get somebody's attention. And I even had to understand understand how it was done here in Indianapolis. Because they're like, dude, you're scaring people with that big old 720 point type. <laughs> so I think that it was those. That's when I saw that design was more then what people think you have to know the community you're speaking to, it has to have a direct message to the people there and connect with it. So to me, I was like, okay. And even with art, I was like, how can I combine the both? And that's when I started getting more into um, art 
um, and got a, got in a show at Dean Johnson Gallery in 2002. It was called Amor, and it was um, it was in reference to uh, Robert Indiana, the love. We switched it in Spanish to Amor, so it was a really good introduction to the gallery scene. And then from there, I, I saw the possibilities of doing more art and, and pushing it in a different direction that would be more direct to my experience. That's cool. I love also, of course, that you said you were completely obsessed with design when you were in school. So thanks yeah. for the subtle nod there. What, what do you think you're most obsessed with today? Um, more obsessed with today. Um, one thing that I've done a little bit, I haven't done a lot of it, but, um, I like culture. So I'm obsessed with culture. Uh, last, last year I was able to go down to Jamaica for a week. Uh, and it was just like a homecoming being down in the Caribbean because I had not been down in the Caribbean for like, uh, 34 years, maybe at that time. So I was like, okay, I got to use my passport a little more. So I, I, I like culture, different foods, different sounds, just looking at different sceneries. So I think that that for me now is more of, of my balance in life. Just, just seeing how other people live and their experience of life in other places. Design is still there. Um, I don't, I don't do um, a lot of projects. But I'm, my obsession now with design is from a from the uh, spectator point of view, where I go to to a store and I look at a book and I'm like, wow, look how, how they laid that type. So I'm looking at it. I understand how it was created, but having that separation, I can appreciate it more as a consumer of design. And so I collect books. Um, I even have one here, which I just noticed it's right on my reach. We were cleaning my my uh, mother-in-law's house, and I found that she had this book. Look at this. <laughs> That's awesome. And they were going to throw it away, and I said, no. Oh, how cool. Well, tell everybody, since uh, radio is not the most visual medium, tell everybody what we're looking at here. It's a book. It's Type and Typography, the Designer's Type Book. And it was uh, by Ben Rosen. So this is kind of like before computers. You can look at different typefaces and type sizes. So I said, don't throw this book away. So I'm going to do some actual artwork, rip every page and react to the typography that's there and create new artworks. So that's one thing that I do now. Um, and a lot of my paintings still have hidden type and stories that I write onto them. So type is still part of my art and what I do today. Very nice. So obviously with your work today, you're, you're selling, you know, as opposed to getting paid by the hour to design graphic design, you're getting paid by patrons or people who buy your, your artwork. So how is that different? Are you typically creating work and then, you know, in the hopes of selling a piece or do you typically have somebody come to you and say, Hey, I want something with really bright colors or something that's really muted. And can you make something unique for me? I, I don't do commissions in the sense of like, okay, um, I have a color in mind or size in mind. I create just, you know, cause I want to create. And I also don't, don't paint to sell a painting. Um, I know when, when I mentioned this to my wife, she was a little puzzled. <laughs> 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 I 
sell a paint? I say, no, I paint it. If somebody wants to buy it, that's good. It has a price once I finish it, but I don't, that's not the point because I don't want to be uh, influenced by, well, maybe a certain community likes these colors or it goes well here or there, or, you know, like New York, like large paintings here, we're more mid-size. So I, I just create and I, um, every day I do something. I even have little sketchbooks where I just, just do pencil drawings and just create, um, and lately I've been doing more shows, but, but, but I'm taking longer time between the shows because I want to be able to create a body of work. And once it's done, then present it rather than saying, I have a show. Now I have two weeks to create. So I, I'm learning more of a balance of, of uh, creation and how to, to exhibit the work. One thing that I do is um, I share about the history of style writing and hip hop culture. Um, more from the youth perspective and the energy that came out. So that's, those are things that I do as an artist to supplement some of the income. So I've done talks at Clues Hall. Um, I did an introduction of Style Wars, which is a graffiti documentary at the IMA, Indianapolis Museum of Art. I spoke at a school in Ohio. Um, so those are things that I get involved um, in doing, doing so. But this coming year, I'm going to have a lot more exhibitions as far as some solo shows and opportunities that have come my way. So, yeah. Cool. And I've, I've had the chance to watch some of those talks. Um, I know there's video links available, so we'll be sure yeah. and share those on the show notes uh, for your podcast link. Definitely. I think I read in one of those stories uh, about you that you said you start your day at 1230 a.m. Is that is that right? What does a normal day look like for you? It was. uh and, and it, it, it variates, you know, during the time that they interviewed me, I was, that was the time I was getting up and I just wanted to see like, okay, if I get up at a certain time, what will be the result of, you know, what I'll do. So I will, I will be up at that time. And I just kind of say, I want to, I want to welcome the day when the day is officially here, which is at 12, you know, point zero zero point one. So that was my way of saying, okay, here's a brand new day. What, you know, how, I, how do I approach it? I had the, the opportunity to do so because my wife at the time, her job at the time was uh, night shift. So I was able to, okay, you know, mm -hmm. so there, there was that opportunity. And I said, now I can do it. So I think that that also led to, to be able to experience it from that way. And that, I'm more of an early morning person. Um, I'm usually up between 4.30, 5.30 in most days. Um, that doesn't mean I get out of bed at that time, but I open my <laughs> eyes. But, you know, I'm, a, I'm an early uh, morning person um, and like working those hours and getting out before, before uh, the day goes and everybody's out there on the road. So, yeah, yeah. So where do you find um, the most inspiration for your, for your artwork today? I think for me, it's going, it's, it's, it's more like memory out of memory, what I remember growing up, but then also where I'm at in the present time. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I, for no, um, I'm not completely retro. Uh, and to, I, I remember at one point I was just so into what happened that friends were like, dude, you're living in the past. 
And I said, well, I might share about the past, but I, I live in the present day. So I know what's going on and, and what's happening. And one of those apparent uh, manifestations is my art is not strictly what was done in the subway trains back in the city. And some people even say, like, where's the graffiti art? Because they, they've, in some shows, they built me as a graffiti artist. Mm-hmm. And I say, no, no, no. I'm a visual artist with my work rooted in graffiti art. So I think that, you know, I still use spray paint, but I, I treat it more as a brush. Graffiti art is very technical, even though it looks abstract. You have to practice the letter over and over and over to get a clean line. To me, I can care less about clean line. I just throw the paint, move the move the, the can. If it if it drips, that's fine. That's part of the rawness of it. So um, that's where I take inspiration from the past and from the, from where where it is now. There's also some artists that I admire a lot, and I I uh, see their work. And one of them being uh, uh, Stefan Sackmeister. And I know we we were in the same event where you introduced them at the IMA. Uh, and that was a really cool having him here in the city. But when I first met him, it was interesting because one thing that um, he had mentioned, he said he, he, he didn't want anybody else coming in into his studio that was just kind of like him. Uh, at first, I didn't understand it. I felt like, wow, you, re- you know, I would love to work with you. But I think that he recognized, like, dude, you're doing stuff that you kind of think similar like me, but you know, I understand not everybody's the same um, in, in how you you express yourself and in the application that you use to express yourself. So uh, but just looking at his work from a graphic designer going like, wow, that's the kind of work because it's so it to me looks so free. And that's the one thing about graphic design that I, I wanted to get to that point. But I, I knew that what I wanted to express, that was not the platform for it that what I wanted to express comes from me as a person and not have, you know, a client. I mean, I could be like a really great graphic designer and I've done it and I, I've enjoyed it. But the older I was getting, I said, let me just get more personal. Uh, and I think there was other things in life that I wanted to experience, like getting married and, and, uh, and doing other things in life. But, um, uh, one inspiration, uh, Mike Joyce, stereotype design. He's a really good friend. And every time I'm in New York, he's like, dude, let's, you know, um, let me know so we can go someplace and eat, you know, uh, beer, burger joint. Uh, there was a project that I've initiated with some of his work for the city. Uh, right now, don't know where, where that may lead. There's some changes that's happened at the place it was going to be shown. But uh, he's one person that I admire. Um, also musicians, especially like digital musicians. Uh, there's this one musician, uh, he's from Mexico. He's now in Spain. He's uh, Murkoff, M-U-R-C-O-F. He does some really beautiful, like, down-tempo, tempo digital music. And he has studied, like, Russian classical music to create this digital. And it's just, like, ambient music, tones and textures. And I'm like, wow. And even the fact that he took the name Murkov and he, he, when you look at him now, he has that Russian, you know, like persona. And it's really interesting, but, it, it, you know, he's one of the earlier 
digital musicians. And then Trenton Muller is another one. Anders that I looked up to. And I've, I've contacted some of these folks. And like Trenton Muller, he even contacted me back. And that's one thing that I've learned. Don't be afraid to contact people and, and say, hey, I'm inspired by your work. I would like to collaborate. Here's something that I've done. And that's something that I learned from um, older artists that I've met and designers. Um, having the, the opportunity of, of meeting Rick Valicenti when I worked on the 25 project. And just to see how humble he just approached me and, hey, thanks for the invitation to participate. And, and I was like, wow, that is it's so great to see that they're open. And I realized, I said, that's that's a key in success, being open and sharing and not saying like, there's a separation. I'm up here and you're down there. The same thing I saw with Zach Meister and others that I said, okay, that I understand it. You know, it's just being human and, and sharing and not being afraid to share and, and knowing that the other people are looking at what you're doing and, and you know, they might be interested in it. So I take inspirations from a lot of people. That's awesome. I, I think it's one of those things that you realize, you know, as you mature in your design career, some of us figure this yeah. out sooner than later, but like all these other, you know, quote unquote famous designers are, they're just people. So like you can, yeah. you can still talk to them and have a drink with them and go meet them for dinner and talk to them about how they think. And it's not like it's a, you know, politician or a rock star or somebody that's like untouchable. And I've seen it happen with other, um, even designers here in town with they. It's because there was another project that I worked on with uh, Jonathan McLaughlin and Vida Sachet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the uh, in an expression of the inexpressible. And we contacted a lot of artists who we had admired for so long. And to uh, Jonathan, he, he mainly focused in Europe. So he was the one who, uh, you, you know, who got like, like even in New York, Carson Wilker or Yokland out of uh, Norway, uh, Jean Julien, uh, the artist who did the, the Paris, Pray for Paris. Mm-hmm. I, he was in our show here at Dean Johnson Gallery. So it was really interesting for him, as for Jonathan, as a younger artist, to see it, say like, wow, I can reach these folks. And then he was in an experience where somebody else asked him, how did you get? And he said, I just contacted them. And that person contacted a, a designer, Dave, um, admire for so long and we're able to go to Europe and visit our studio and talk with them. So I think it's, it's part of understanding the, that we are all humans. One thing as far as the music that back in what's been like uh, 2000, between 2005, 2007, I used to just go to all these underground blogs for music. There was a blog where there was a, a, a well-known musician. I'm not going to mention the name. She, she don't need more promotion, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, she has 11 Grammys. So, I mean, she don't need my little plug, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good place. Cause we were connecting with her and her team and we we're just sharing ideas back and forth and being somebody that, that likes to see things different. And from a more abstractly way, I was sharing stuff like, what if you take the bass and make it do what the guitar does? So the bass will have all the, you know, the, 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 the flux, the, how it fluctuates in, in notes and, and just runs and goes up and down. And she put it in a song. 
and it was in her album. And she shared that song with Prince. And Prince said, this is so cool. How the heck? So to me, when that, when that is true, I was like, that's really cool. Prince liked something that was influenced by something, I'm sure, you know, the stuff that I've heard. And I was just able to share it in this open platform with an artist who is far away in another city. So I think that those, those are things that when I look at this time we're living in, and it, it's, it's so great because we can share. Um, just so openly and not have that separation of like, oh, here's a PR person, here's this other person, and I cannot talk to you face to face. So I really enjoy that platform. Cool. I, I feel like you've dropped a, a lot of great advice on us already on this call, but tell me about, is there like a best piece of advice or favorite piece of advice that you pass along to your students or a favorite piece of advice that you feel like you've received that you'd like to share? Yeah. So I, I know we haven't talked about my teaching at Heron School of Art, but that came about one teacher who I had, uh, Paula Differing, really great mentor and teacher. When I was a student, she said, Sam, you're going to teach. And I was like, yeah, yeah, because I wanted to get out. <laughs> and get. 15 years later, I ended up going back and teaching there. But one thing, I teach very loose. Like I, even though I have a syllabus, I teach more by inspiration. One thing I, I do say to my students is the one advice is just simply be, be who you are. Just be, you know, we don't have to try to create something, just be, because we're all unique and we have a different perspective. Even in design, I see the different perspectives. And that's why we, the diverse in how people lay type, use of color, photography, what influenced them. So those are the one things that I tell them. Speak from who you are. Speak the truth from who you are. And that will, you have, you know, you have it figured out. Um, and, and that will be my advice for, for my students or anyone out there listening, young person, designer. Nice. Well, you, you're welcome to answer this question as a artist or designer or however, or, or maybe just how you be, but <laughs> you can, yeah. uh, what, what do you think your proudest moment moment has been so far as a, as a designer or artist? As a designer, I, I think it's when somebody walks into a place, for example, like one of the, the lasting projects that are here at Swishing Town is now Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Um, just when a person walks into the space and, and just interact with the space and it's, it's almost like, like Disneyland, they've seen it for the first time, even though it was created almost, wow, 18 years ago to people it's fresh. So to be able to see how people interact without, without being so conscious that somebody was behind the design. And I think that's where, when I see great design, it's not when you say like, Oh, look how somebody did this or that. They just interact with the space where there is, oh, there's the concession stand. So the signage tapes on there or, you know, if it makes, if it had, if the function is to move people around a building and it does it well, then that's, I'm proud of that. So I think uh, Vanker's Life is one of those projects I'm, I'm very proud of in, in the fact that it does, you know, it, it, it works and it, it it kind of for for a moment there it was like the best arena, uh, basketball arena in the nation. So it was really interesting to see that 
it set a standard on how it was not just a place where you 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 watch a basketball game. It was a place where you experienced the history of basketball, especially Indiana basketball. So it was really it was like a museum in a sense, and that's how some people view it. Yeah, and if for anybody who's listening ever has a chance to go see a game or an event at uh, now Banker's Life, it's it's definitely a a cool experience and. Um, I love how the, just the context of even the signage was thought about from a retro standpoint. So, so many things were spotlit as opposed to backlit and there's not a lot of digital elements. It's really more how you might've experienced a field house back in the, I don't know, the forties or sixties or somewhere in that time frame pre all of these, you know, modern day flashy strobe lights. <laughs> and, and even that there was a, there's a really interesting story about the backlit because in some of the earlier meetings, Owners and other people are like, okay, we got to change advertising so often. So and now backlink is the way to go. It says, that's not retro. You know, back then they didn't have that technology. Uh, we at RLR uh, were fortunate enough that we found out a uh, painting, sign painting company that was still in operations in Indy. And we reached out to them and they were so grateful. They were like, wow, this is so great. We get to do the work we want to do. So and not only created that retro look, but it, it, it was able to to employ others whose passion is to paint signs and advertisements on brick wall. So, uh, um, and just to create the whole criteria for future advertisers to come in and, and know what visual elements play into the whole story of the arena and the whole story of, you know, the field house and Indiana basketball. So it's a really awesome project. Very cool. Well, speaking of stories, yours has taken some some twists and turns uh, so far in your career. Where do you think you're going to be 10 years from now? What do you think you'll be doing? 10 years from now, um, there's some things that are coming down the line that uh, right now I'm not in liberty to share because it's one of those things that I've learned. It's like, don't share before, you know, don't get the, the carriage for the horse. So, I mean, there's things that I that are coming up that will continue just drawing me as an artist. Um, I see myself as a, a, as a, a global perspective. And the beauty of being here in Indianapolis is so central. And we have a very strong international community that, you know, slowly is being showcased more. The United States is international. So when I see, I don't see like, you know, like Caribbean and then international is Europe. The whole world is international. So um, there's some opportunities that are coming up that it, it will continue growing me as an artist. Uh, one thing that I can tell you in the in the next year or so, I'm, I'm, my paintings are getting larger. Um, so I'll have the opportunity to do paintings for upcoming shows that are eight feet by eight feet and larger. Um, so those are things that I, I want to continue growing as an artist and, and looking at my work from different perspectives. And right now, there's a voice within my work that is being identified and I see it, but I don't want to be trapped by what's currently happening. I want to continue growing that voice. So that's where I see it. Very cool. Well, that's an awesome tease for us to look out for in the next year or in uh, 10 years for all those exciting things that you're not ready to share with us just yet. But as we're wrapping up here, tell us about where 
uh, where some of your fans can find you online or what's the best place to track you down to keep up with uh, what you're up to? Uh, very simple. The, my website, SamuelEVasquez.com. Uh, Vasquez is spelled V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. And also on Instagram, um, Samuel E. Vasquez. And w- one project, little project that it's, it's, it's in the works, and I'll release it here in July, is I'm working on an extended digital electronic mix. Um, I arrange all the music and all the sounds. And in celebration of uh, the games down in Brazil, I will... I will secretly filter that sound down. So if you're down in Brazil in the clubs, you might hear some of the music that I put together, but it'll be secretly done. Uh, <laughs> nice. Through, through my moniker. So those who uh, who follow some of my emails know my moniker. Uh, and it's out there. You can Google it and you'll, you'll, you'll hopefully find it. But uh, that's one thing that I like to do. Just share. Uh, it's free for people to download and just enjoy it. Very cool. Well, Sam, it's been a pleasure catching up with you and uh, hope to bump into you sometime soon uh, down here in Indianapolis. Definitely. We have to uh, do coffee or or tea or something. I'm more of a coffee person. I know you are too. So oh, you know it. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for being obsessed with design. All right, guys, that's show number 15 officially in the books. Thank you so much for joining us for our conversation with Sam Vasquez. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Obsessed Show and I'm at Josh Miles. While you're at it, head on over to iTunes to subscribe to Obsessed with Design. We'd love to have you rate the show and help others find us. Obsessed with Design is a production from the Design Obsessed folks at Miles Herndon a branding agency located 13 floors above Monument Circle in downtown Indianapolis. For more information on our agency, visit milesherndon.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.